0: All right, I hope you have your Bibles handy because we're only looking at a few verses today and I want to make sure that you see them so that you can see what God has put in here for us because as we have been uh, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, um, it has been very evident that people don't spend enough time understanding what all of these fruit flavors might be as God lays them out in his word. Grace and peace to you all today, by the way. We're starting right in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. And uh Proverbs 15, 1 says this: A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Is this true? Yeah, absolutely is, isn't it? Um, If someone is gentle with you, you are much more likely to be gentle back, or at least you are less likely to snap on them. Um, You know, if someone gets in your face, you are really just, you know, your adrenaline gets going and you just want to get right back at them. So we need to keep this proverb in mind, that a gentle answer turns away wrath and a harsh word stirs up anger. But How do we do that? What makes this possible? How is a gentle answer ever possible? Because it's never the first reaction of human beings. Well, i got to tell you, practice is important in here. If you don't practice giving gentle answers, you are never going to give gentle answers. Uh, planning, planning for what you're going to do in certain circumstances or situations. What are you going to do if someone gets in your face? Are you going to take a swing at them? Or are you going to take a breath and step back and think it through? Well, you have to decide what you're going to do and then follow through with it. Uh, Let me give you an example of why that might be. Um, If you spend your entire life giving nothing but sarcastic answers or getting in people's faces or being hostile about even little slights, then when you get into those crisis situations, you are going to be more... What you practice, then you are going to be kind or considerate or helpful, even. Um, think about like an airplane crash. When you hear that an airplane is, is gone down and you hear the stories from the people who survived the crash, they're always like, oh, so and so did this and that. And then this person was trying to push their way to the exit and this other person was trying to help people. It's because of what people practiced, what they have adjusted themselves to, that they are able to respond in a situation like that. You always act out more like what you have practiced than what you wish you were. So if you're not practicing being a good person, doing good things, making good choices, then you are going to act out in ways that are negative. There is another name for this idea of following a plan rather than just letting your emotions drive you one way or another. That name is self-control. Self-control is always intentional. You cannot demonstrate self-control by accident. If you've never practiced self-control, you will not do self-control. You will not have self-control in a crisis or in a challenging situation or even just in your day-to-day life when you're wandering around. Self-control is always intentional. Now, what does self-control help us demonstrate according to this proverb here? Gentleness. Self-control is how we give a gentle answer instead of a harsh one. Demonstrating self-control through gentle behavior leads, as this says, leads to peace. Or at least it points the way by creating a whole that has no conflict in it. That's the way God intended the way God wanted us to go, which brings us back to our thoughts about the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? We've been talking about it for a few weeks now. What, what is it? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is though it's um, the actions in our lives that show the sweetness, the, the health of the things that God has given to us. Um, it's for a person who is following the way of God, following the way of Jesus. This is the what people see in our lives, and they say, oh, that's what God has caused in them. It's the things that sustain our lives and our beliefs as we live out the life that Jesus commanded us to live. Well, where does this fruit come from? Well, the fruit of the Spirit comes from our listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit, comes from doing the things that God asks us to do. It's not automatic. Like I said, it's planned. Um, Just like any crop, it takes planning and work to grow it, and it needs to be ready in time for the harvest. You don't want your fruit to like half grow and then die on the frost or Or to become ripe too early and you can't get it out of the fields and off to market. You need your fruit to be ready at the right time. That takes investing in growing your fruit well. Well, how am I supposed to do that? I don't know what this fruit is. Well, let's talk about what the fruit is. It's all one thing, first of all. The fruit of the Spirit. It is a singular fruit. It is the harvest. It is the crop of your life. It's what people see as they observe you and the way that you deal with situations and circumstances. It is the aftertaste of an encounter with you. It's a picture of God that people develop from the light that you share with them. And this fruit is explained by the Apostle Paul in his letter about living a Christian life that he wrote to the churches in Galatia. This is from Galatians chapter 5, check verses 22 and 23. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he ends up by saying, there is no law against these things. And thank God for that, because we all need more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so, by making sure there's no law against it, we can do as much of this as we want, as much of this as we are able to put out. And frankly, all these things, they're all entwined. They're all one thing, the fruit of the Spirit. It's all one thing. These are just different flavors that you're going to taste as you, you eat that fruit as that fruit comes into your life. And we've talked about love. Um, love, uh, it's the word agape. Um, it's, you know Because remember the New Testament, written almost entirely in Greek, ancient Greek, not in English. So all these things have been translated. And when we think about the word love in English, a lot of times we think, oh, it's that warm, squishy feeling. Well, that's not at all what this word means. It's agape. It is a choice that we make to put the wellness of the other ahead of our own desires. It's an unconditional choice. A choice that we make to make someone else feel loved and cared for and known and heard. Just like God does for us, we do for others. right? And from that love, we spent time examining the joy that comes from true peace. And peace... It isn't just the absence of conflict, remember. Peace is a wholeness. It is something about having fully restored health and fully restored relationships. And we talked about patience and kindness and how unnatural those are in human activity. Often those are the things we have to remind ourselves to do. Um, Our short tempers might otherwise rule over us and lead us to do things that are not patient or not kind. If we don't plan ahead, we will never do anything patient or kind. We have to be thinking. We have to be ready for what might come. And last week, we kind of dove into this idea that faith is nothing more than a decision to trust in God. It's a faith is the trust you put in something that is demonstrated to you over and over again as happening so that you can expect that it's going to happen again. That's faith. And goodness then is what comes from our trusting in the Lord as we act out towards one another the way that He told us to because we trust that His promise that us doing so, that us acting towards one another with this love and kindness and all that, that by doing that, we reap his rewards that he has promised. And those rewards, God says, are well above any self-satisfaction we might get from lashing out or behaving selfishly. So today, today we're going to talk about these last two flavors of the fruit of the Spirit. And Quite frankly, this is the key that brings all these flavors together and turns it into the juicy and delicious experience that we want people to be able to sink their teeth into and to know that they have been blessed by encountering this fruit. And the key to making sure people get the best fruit, a lot of times it comes down to, one word, approach Approach. I don't care how great something is. If you are approached in a manner that you find frightening or threatening, you won't want that thing. How do you want someone to come to you with something? Do you want them getting up in your business, shrieking their message at you? Or would you rather they back down a little bit and brought it to you in an easier way? Do you want them coming up Like a preacher coming up to you saying, you are evil and depraved and destined to burn in the fires of hell. You vile sinner. Or would you rather have someone say, hey, it's great to see you. Do you got a few minutes for a cup of coffee? I heard this awesome thing that I want to share with you. This good news that, man, it's changed my life and I think that it could do wonders. And I'd like you to see how it changed me. And you can decide what that does for you. Now which of those folks would you be more likely to hear out? I can tell you which one I would listen to and which one I wouldn't. Jesus was all about approach. In a a culture where it was normal to shun people that you believed had sinned, or even those you considered to be ritually unclean because they hadn't kept up part of their faith tradition... Or, or something had happened that they needed to do some kind of reacceptance ritual um, that they just hadn't done yet. In a, in a world view where people, most people anyway, treated folks like that as pariahs, Jesus did things like say, hey, let's go out to dinner. Or he'd invite them to come hang out with him. Jesus always treated people gently. And there's some of you who right now are thinking, well, Jesus wasn't always gentle the way I think of it. He wasn't wimpy or mild-mannered. Well, no, he wasn't, because that's something we've done to the word gentle. Let's talk about that in a second. Jesus treated people gently, and he told his followers they need to do the same. And early on in his teaching, he told them this way. He said, blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. That word meek, that's the same word Paul uses that gets translated in these fruits as gentleness. So to be meek or to be gentle, it's to be soothing. Um, Almost like people in your presence are going to be refreshed or energized or relieved of their burdens somehow. Just because you're there. That's what the fruit in your life is supposed to be doing. It's supposed to be helping ease the burdens people feel. If you've got a good friend that you spend a lot of time with, you probably find you look forward to that time. It de-stresses you. Even when you're talking about heavy things with this person, you come away feeling lighter. You know what I mean? This is what Jesus was telling us to be. And it's part of the fruit that we want to provide. It's about standing in a very specific place in life. And this is somewhere that Aristotle talked about as being between the extremes. There are people who get angry for no reason. And there are people who never get angry. And gentleness this Greek word that's translated as gentle or meek, it is referring to someone who is standing in a very specific spot between those two extremes. It's, it's kind of that state of getting angry at the right time for the right reasons and being angry just to the right amount. And i got to tell you, it's really hard to explain this in English because we tend to hear this word meek or gentle and we think, Well, obviously, that means weak and useless. But that's not the case at all. It's more a a careful response that's being made from a place of power, from a point of control, more than anything else. Let me show you an example that Jesus gave. This is also from Matthew chapter 5. You just look a little further down the page to verses 38 and 39. Jesus said, You've heard... The law that says punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Alright, I'm going to tell you, I need to nitpick on this just a little bit from our translation. This is verse 39 in a more precise translation. See that one line that changed on the wall behind me there? Instead of saying do not resist an evil person, it should say, don't react violently against the one who is doing evil. See, now, we had this rule that was handed down from the time of Moses. It was the rule of an eye for an eye. And it was set up as a limit, trying to curtail the human habit of overreacting. Uh, If someone steals a horse, you shouldn't be stringing them up from the closest tree because that is not equitable. The law set a very distinct limit on repayment, no more than the value of the harm that was done. By the way, eye for an eye, it didn't mean that if someone accidentally or purposely poked your eye out, you got to go poke their eye out. It actually meant that you were entitled to that level of recompense. Um, Usually it meant some mutually agreed on repayment or payment of some kind that would, would cover the loss in your life. In the Old Testament, this was, again, intended to be a limit, not a requirement. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's time to move past this. Don't repay violence with violence at all. Now, is he saying we should just lay down and let people harm us however they wish? No, he is absolutely not saying that. In fact, he offers a very revolutionary suggestion for us to use in deciding how to resist evil in a gentle manner. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Now, we usually choose from two options. We fight or we flight. We fight or we run. Violence or passivity. What our culture calls strength or weakness. But Jesus rejects both violence and passivity as an appropriate response to evil. He advocates for gentleness instead. Let me explain. In those days, people didn't use their left hands for anything. In fact, in some parts of the culture, even to make gestures with your left hand was considered disgraceful. You use your left hand for unclean tasks only. Didn't matter if you were right-handed or left-handed. You just plain didn't use your left hand. So if you're going to strike someone, you would use your right hand. You with me so far? Oh, good. Jesus gives this example. If someone hits you on the right cheek, our translation says if someone slaps you, because you can't hit someone on the right cheek with your right hand unless you are backhanding them. Jesus is talking about someone who's trying to humiliate or demean another person by striking them in what was seen as a scornful way, to just backhand them. This is how you hit someone who is at a lower social level than you. It was a mocking or belittling thing to do. You didn't hit your peers, by the way. You never hit someone on your social level. You definitely never hit someone above your social level because that was like a death sentence. But to hit someone at your social level, that was bad. In fact, striking a peer with a closed fist, that was punishable by a fine of four zuz. I love that word, zuz. It's still a coin that exists today. Um, 4 zuz uh, by the way, if you're trying to figure it out, it's about 8 drachma or uh, think of it this way, it's a week's salary. You punch a peer with a closed fist, you're going to owe a fine of a week's salary to them to apologize. But if you were to strike them backhand, like I said, it's a demeaning thing. If you strike a peer backhanded like that, that was a fine of 400 zuz or about 2 years worth of pay. You could, of course, hit your underlings without penalty. You could beat up people at a lower social level and probably just walk away. No one would notice anything. Fortunately, that doesn't happen today. Slapping someone like this was the uh, socially acceptable way to admonish your inferiors. Walter Wink says, Masters backhanded slaves, husbands their wives, parents children, men women, and Romans Jews. This is the normal and accepted way to admonish someone. And the normal and accepted response was to cower in submission. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Turn the other cheek. Give him the other side of your face. You know what Jesus is telling him to do? He's telling him, reject that intended humiliation. Peacefully insist on being treated as an equal, regardless of your social status. You go to backhand someone and that guy just turns their face the other way so that you can hit them again. What are you going to do? You're kind of stuck here at this point. You can't backhand them again because now their nose is pointing right where your hand is going to hit and you're going to end up hitting them with your knuckles and hitting them with your knuckles is equivalent to hitting them with a closed fist, or at least that's what they thought in that day. It acknowledges that person as a peer, as someone who's an equal, screws with their whole social structure. The whole idea that one person is better than another is messed up just by something so simple as striking them with a closed fist. Now, as the superior, you do have, have a recourse. You could demand that that person you were trying to turn into a victim, you could demand that they be flogged for insubordination. They're getting out of line. They're not listening to me. Of course, in order to do that, you have to make their defiance of you public, which is shameful to you. It turns this person you were trying to make a victim, it turns them into a tale of courage instead of a belittled subordinate. It moves the power and the honor in the situation to the oppressed instead of leaving it with the oppressor. If you're the victim then, you have taken back what control you can of this situation, but you've done it gently. Gently. Jesus gives other examples. If you read Matthew 5, there's two more examples He gives right after this. And they are equally offsetting. And they are equally gentle. They are not passive. And they are not violent. They are meek in the original and intended sense of the word. The right amount of anger used in the right way at the right time. This is how we want to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. This is the way that Jesus lived it out in His life. He stood up for those who could not or would not stand up for themselves, and He showed people how they could do the same gently. Not passively, not violently. Gently. Gentleness takes planning, though. And if you don't have a plan, if you haven't practiced responding gently, You are apt to react in an extreme way instead. Having a plan and enacting it, that is self-control. That's what the Spirit is encouraging in our lives. Self-control. Or to put it another way, God gave you a brain and He expects you to use it to think before you act. What does that mean? Well, thinking requires learning. And knowing what God expects from us. Because you can't do what God expects if you don't know what it is. You have to learn it. How do we learn it? Well, we can learn it from Jesus. We can learn it from the stories in the Scriptures. We can learn it from the examples that are shown to us by other believers. And from the teachings of our faith communities. When we think through how to live in a way that produces fruit, it helps us to produce more and better fruit. And there is no law against that. So, you need to work on your self-control. Make sure you're not angry without reason. Or that, you, huh, that you're not angry when you should be. From that point of balance, you have to approach people gently. So that they will feel God's love, not your manipulation. Show your faith by trusting the Lord in all things. He has never failed to keep a promise. Live as if you're the person you were created to be, letting that goodness shine through any darkness that's surrounding you. God promises us we can do that. Seek opportunities to show kindness and to do so with abandon because God did the same thing for us. Be patient. Knowing that you might need to wait on the timing of other people and you might need to wait on the timing of God. And there may be good reasons not to rush through whatever it is you think should just be done. Even if we don't know them and never will. That's the hard part for me. I like to know everything. I'm perfectly happy to wait if someone just explains it to me and I say, God, you just got to tell me how this works. And God gives me the same answer He gave to, uh, to Job. Which is, oh Yeah? You create the universe, and then you tell me how it works, and then I'll explain myself to you. We may not know the reasons, but we may still need to be patient. So we should always strive for peace. Striving for peace, that means seeking to create this harmony in all circumstances. It's not just an absence of conflict. It is a presence of wholeness. It is oneness being brought together And we have to embrace the joy of knowing how all these things work together for the good of those around us. And that they're going to bless you just every bit as much. When you are doing good things for other people, you get more out of that than the people that you do stuff for. It's the weirdest thing. And in all things, you need to live out love. Agape. That choosing to care for everyone as best you can no matter what, because... That's what God told us to do. That's what the Lord showed us through Jesus. It's what God encourages us through the Holy Spirit to be part of this agape, this fruit bearing. Bear fruit, my friends. Are you willing to work on this? I got to tell you, it may not flourish overnight. On the other hand, it may. It can take time to learn all this stuff, but it doesn't have to. You can just do it. It it all comes down to our attitude and our effort, and those are choices we make about how we're going to live our lives. This is obviously not the only time you have to make a choice. But I am going to ask you to make a choice right now. What are you going to do with your day? What are you going to do with your week? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Are you willing to follow our Lord Jesus Christ by living in such a way that others see your life as a sweet, refreshing fruit tree providing them with sustenance and rest? If you are, if you're willing to make that commitment in your heart now or if you're going to do it another time later, do it wholeheartedly. Do it with the expectation that this is life. If you're willing to do that with me, pray with me. Father, the idea that um, the Spirit is just going to come and grow fruit in us is wonderful. The realization that we have to take part in that sometimes makes it seem more difficult or more challenging. But Lord, the reality is all we need to do is listen and do our best to Do the best we can in each of these areas. It's not too hard for any of us. It's not beyond any of us. It's something that You built into each of us when You created us. It's something that You nurture in each of us through Your Spirit in us. It's something that You have showed us through the life of Jesus. And it's something that You teach us about constantly in Your Word. Lord, help us to be the fruit in Your world. Help us to bring that peace, that sustenance, and to lift the burdens of those around us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.